So I have one last little announcement. I know I had a lot of announcements. We're trying to include you guys in on what's going on in this church because there's a lot of cool things happening. So one of the cool things that's cool and bittersweet is Joy Mason, who has been our children's ministry director for a long time. There was a time where it was like me and Joy and like one other person. It was just like the three of us on staff. She is has a booming family. So she's having more and more beautiful, uh, playful little kids running around. So she is going to be stepping down from um, from her children's ministry role because we're expanding the role to be a much bigger role. And she's like, yeah, I, I ain't got time for that. I got little kids running around. So she's staying here. She'll be part of our church. She's going to be around. You'll see her. She's up there serving right now. But we are hiring a new children's ministry director. It's a beefier position. It's about 29 hours a week, about $30,000 a year. And we realized we hadn't told anyone. So we need to let you guys know that that's out there. Tell your friends. If you're interested, come talk to us. But we're hiring this new staff person that's going to have a big impact on what we do with kids. And uh, you know, we're hoping to keep growing and expanding because, uh, you know, you see all the kids running around and that is a beautiful thing. And so we are going to be doing that. So I want to make sure we said that. There's a link on the website, fill out a connect card. We'll get you information, but I, I got to make sure we mention that. Okay. So last week, if you were here, we talked about corriendo, right? Running. That's right. Corriendo is running in Spanish. We were talking about running races, right? A track athlete. What, what difference does it make the event that you're doing? Because if you show up to a track meet, Right? If, you're, if you're throwing the shot put or you're running the 100 meters, the training is slightly different. You know, you got to have some fresh, you know, kicks to have, you know, run the 100 meters. With, the, with throwing, it's a little different. You don't need quite the cushioning, the air there. Um, so that was last week. This week, uh, Peter kind of continues in this idea of kind of purpose and intention, goal. So the question this week, as we often ask questions to get our uh, sermons kind of rolling, uh, the question this week is, have you ever built anything? ever built anything? Like, some of you were like, huh, I go to Virginia Tech. I'm an engineer. Have I ever built anything? Come on. What is this, child's play? Right? So some of you are engineer types, right, where you've built stuff. My brother's a structural engineer in Dallas. He works on, you know, 50-story skyscrapers, and he always nerds out over, like, oh, they had these I-beams. So he, there's, there's those, those folks. And then some of you are like, build anything? No way. I've never done any sort of that thing. But I imagine you've played with Legos or something where they, you talk about interlocking blocks, okay? Have you ever built anything? Because this week we're going to be talking about this house that the Lord is building, this, this thing that he's doing through Christ that involves a construction project, a construction process, right? So have you ever built anything? And, and so my question is, if you've built something, which I would like to hope that all of you have built something in your lifetime, if you haven't, you really should get out more, um, right? Like, like go build a bridge or something. Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, a bunch of other metaphors are making me giggle right there. Okay, so cry me a river and build me a bridge. Okay, um, but yeah, so, so what, what building materials are you using makes all the difference, right, because of where we're going, what kind of building we're building. Those two things will interplay. So the kind of building you're building and the types of materials you use make a lot of difference, right? So if you're building a worship space, if you're building a home, if you're building a bridge, that's going to necessitate a certain kind of material. And this morning we will be talking both about the materials that God is using and the intention that God has both the materials that he's using and the intention that God has. You have your Bibles open with us to 1 Peter. We're going to be in the second chapter of 1 Peter this morning. And so we are talking about building. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 10. 
It's kind of one of those, you know, running and building are two very popular biblical metaphors. We see them kind of all throughout the Old Testament and the New. Um, And I love the different wrinkles that each different author who uses those pictures brings to the table. And so this morning, we're going to see Peter and how he nuances this idea of building and what, what kind of building we're talking about. So let me, let me pray for us one more time to kind of ready and prepare our hearts uh, and minds to receive God's Word, and then we're going to dive in. I'll read verses 1 through 10, the whole section, and then we'll see about this building project that we are involved with. So let me pray for us real quick. Lord, we come to you as a people hungry, a people thirsty, a people who uh, need all things really from you. So Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would nourish us by your word, that we would hear what you have to say to us, that you would um, remove distraction, remove hardness of heart, and help us to see and hear you this morning as you speak by your spirit through your word. We pray all these things in the magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so let me read for us. This is, um, this is chapter two, and he picks up chapter two right at the end of chapter one with that, he's, he's, you know, he gives us kind of some implications. Again, this whole letter, uh, Peter starts out saying, remember that we are a people who look at this uh, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance that's been secured for us by the resurrection of Jesus. He specifically says all that starting in uh, chapter 1, verse 3. And so he, he, he kind of orients the entire letter by that and starts giving applications. And so we were talking about that last week. So he picks up chapter 2 and starts with a so that kind of statement, a so statement. So look at chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Because we have this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance in Christ Jesus by the resurrection of Jesus, because we have that, chapter 2, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, uh, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whatever, excuse me, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord this morning. 
So interesting little passage here. So you can see this whole thing revolves around this idea of, of building. And so what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to see um, living stones, cornerstone, and a stumbling stone, right? So we see here, look at verse 4. As you come to him, so those who believe upon Christ, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so what we're going to look at first is we're going to look at you and I, that we are spiritual, we are living stones. We're stones that are not rocks. We are stones that are people, but we're being built together into what he calls a spiritual house, right? We, we see in Corinthians where the believers are referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? That, that the temple, the, the actual brick and mortar building was not necessary anymore. The veil had been torn in the crucifixion of Christ and the Spirit released in Acts 2 into the church, that they would be a people who now have the Holy Spirit dwelling, right? We are dwelling places of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. But this picture is interesting. That, that picture that we usually use about being dwelling place of God is very individual, right? We're like, you individually are the dwelling place of God, right? This is what Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, this is what Jesus talked about in John where he says, hey, I'm sending another counselor to you. All this is really good and beautiful picture of, of God dispensing of his Holy Spirit into each individual person who believes upon Christ, which is amazing. It's fantastic. But I love how Peter nuances that differently here. His emphasis here is not on your individual relationship with God, but what he's saying is, is that there is something communally about you that actually illustrates something other than you individually just being a dwelling place of God. He's saying, no, no, you collectively, the plural you, you together are a house. So what he does is he, he prevents the error of our individualism, which we love here in America. We love, hey, like, look, don't infringe on me. I got my own thing going. Don't get in my way. I'm doing my thing. Again, I, I, I make fun of it. I keep doing it. You know, me and God. It's not just you and God, right? We kind of brushed on this last week. This week is more front and center. Look at verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, so instead of you entirely being your own self-contained temple, now it's a different picture. It's a picture of stones being laid upon each other. Can we go ahead and put up that photo now? I'm ready for that picture. Do you have it? Yes. So, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, like, nowadays, it's all engineered stone, right? It's all, everything's the same. And that's, that's, you know, we're not going to Walmart for our stone, okay? So it's not, and, you know, nothing against Walmart, but, you know, like, this is a better picture. These old stone structures, like, notice, like, the different sizes and shapes, right? That where it's not, it's not uniformity. You're not all just little, I was going to use a little brick wall where I do a little picture of a brick wall, but that's not, that's not really a good picture. The beauty of the kingdom is that it's, and we're going to get at this in a minute here, is that we are living stones that are stacked together in order for a divine purpose of God. It's not only about your personal communion with God, it's about our communion. Even the word communion is common union. It's something we're doing communally. We're doing it together. It's not individual, right? 
So what we have is this picture, and notice there's all these different shapes and sizes because we are being built together, and even notice, notice that we started this section about how we interact with each other. Go back to verse 1. So put away all malice, right? Anger and hatred toward one another, all deceit, deceiving one another, hypocrisy, saying we're one thing but doing something else, envy, longing for what other people has and being angry at them, and slander, talking poorly about others, all these relationships that we can't be a structure built upon one another when we are bickering with the stone next to us, right? When we do these structures and they're built well, there's this glue, this mortar that holds it all together, but they're all interlocking. That's one of the things I love about a dry stack uh, kind of brickwork or, or a dry stack uh, fireplace. The house I grew up in, I'd never seen one like this. The, there was this really skilled mason who came to our home. He's a friend of my father's, and he did this stone fireplace. Now, all the stone fireplaces I'd ever seen were clearly held together with mortar. You see lots of mortar. This is called a dry stack. You didn't see one mortar joint in any of it in this 12-foot-high huge stone wall because every stone was picked individually and put in exactly the right place. And they all fit together to make this thing that you actually, it looked like there was nothing holding it together. It was just stacked together because all of the stones aren't just, they're just not slapped on a wall like, you know, like cinder blocks are. They're not uniform. They're all a little different and they all have their place in this wall. And this is a good picture of the body of Christ that we stack together, we all have different kinds of roles we play, shapes and sizes, and yet we all hold together. We are living stones being built together because this building has the materials that God is using, which is the believers, and we're going to see the cornerstone here in a minute, right? We have the believers who are built together, but how they lay upon each other and work together matters. And the problem is, is that if we are bickering and fighting and, and working against each other constantly, we are not painting the portrait. We are not establishing the building the way that God wants, and it will not work. And so he's saying, you need the stones next to you because you are not a building. You are a stone. And we are meant to build this beautiful structure together that when laid together and pieced the way that God wants, each part playing its role paints a portrait and tells a story, and shows us a picture of what a spiritual house looks like. So, so one of the things we need to get out of this church is we got to be real careful about our individualism, about our kind of holding off on like, no, no, this is about me and my stuff, and I want to do my thing, and I want to make sure they play the songs that I like, and I get the stuff that I want, and I get to th do the things that I need, deserve, want, whatever. We are living stones being built together so that we can be a place that people see as a place of worship, right? We are a place, as we work together, as we live together, as we labor together, we are a place where people come and they hopefully will marvel at how God has put it together, where they will take a guy like me and they'll say, so you are pals with that guy? Like, how does that work? You guys are really weird and different like weird in different ways, but you are connected together, right? God is bringing and building a spiritual house and he's uniting us in ways beyond our own comprehension, but we have to work together. So we are living stones and he outlines what these living stones look like. It, it gets pretty intense here in verse nine. He looks at what these stones look like. Look at the language he used. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So the description, the specific description of what these living stones look like are right here in verse 9. So we need to unpack these. All of these terms are references and are pulled from the Old Testament. Isaiah 43, Exodus 19, this language, you are a chosen race. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in the coming weeks, but we need to talk about this this morning. The interesting thing is, I thought this was fascinating, the Greek for chosen race, because we start to talk about race and ethnicity when we start talking about this, this text, right? So the interesting thing is, as the, as the nation of Israel improperly interpreted this. I want to say that because there were people who, who properly interpreted it, but as the nation of Israel improperly interpreted these passages, what they thought all of this was saying, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, what they heard was Israel. Israel only. Descendants, genealogical descendants of Abraham. That's what that's talking about. There is one ethnicity that's the ethnicity, and if you are not in that ethnicity, then you're out of luck. That is not what he's saying, and it's never been what he's been saying. His point was that he chose one family that all nations would be blessed, that God has always had the intention of having this worship structure being constructed with stones of all shapes and sizes and ethnicities. Because what a beautiful portrait it is to walk up to the structure and go, wait, you have Jewish folks and you have African folks and you have Chinese folks and you have, you, you have all kinds of people. Like, this is your building? Wild. How did you get all these stones together? How did you get them all in the same building? And that's when we say, as the people of God, isn't our God beautiful? But here's the interesting thing about the Greek phrase, which I don't want to do too much with this, but I just thought it fascinating. The Greek phrase, the Greek phrase for, yeah, you got to laugh at yourself. Okay, the Greek phrase for chosen people is genos eclecton, which is funny. We get the word eclectic from the Greek word for chosen, right? We are an eclectic people. Again, I don't want to go too far down that road of, of bending the Greek around, but we are a genome. We are a family is what that word directly translated. We're an eclectic family that God chose from all over, that people would come and that they would behold Jesus, any tribe, tongue, nation, country, tribe, right? No matter who they are, when they call upon the name of Christ, they are saved into this beautiful building that he is building, that he is building. He is the constructor. He is the one who holds us all together. He is the mortar. He is the one who stacks us in the right place. So you are a chosen race. There is this new people, right? This becomes the primary identifier of who we are, that God gives us gifts, like he gives you talents, he gives you abilities, he gives you backgrounds, he gives you families, he gives you history, he gives you ethnicity, he gives you all of those things. They're all gifts to be stewarded for God's glory and for the good of our neighbor. And so we can celebrate those things, not look down at others because they're not like we are. Right? Because I've yet to meet a person when you say, hey, are you a racist? They go, oh yeah, I am. I'm a racist. I'm sure there are people out there like that. But the average person is not a racist. They don't think they are. Excuse me. They don't think they are. So I want to I share a little quote from Tony Evans. I thought this was very helpful. This is his definition of racism is this. The conscious 
or unconscious, I want you to hear that, the conscious or the unconscious belief in the superiority of one race over another race or ethnicity, which manifests itself in a variety of dismissive, oppressive, or exploitive ways. But I want to read that again. The conscious or unconscious belief in the superiority of one tribe, basically, right? One race or ethnicity over another race or ethnicity. Listen, I've yet to meet somebody who's just like, yep, I'm a racist. Again, they're out there. I'm sure they are. Most of us are not operating in conscious racism. But we have to be real careful because what we will do, this is the default setting of the sinful heart, is you prefer your own. You can't help yourself. And that doesn't make it okay. That makes it something we need to work on. You have sin, which needs to be repented of. It needs to be owned. It needs to be said, yeah, I prefer my, myself and those like me uh, over other people. I do that naturally. And hear me, that naturally is not a good word, right? By my fallen nature, I, I do that as almost a reflex. And what God says about our carnal reflexes, and he referred to them as our ignorant ways that we have been delivered from, direct quote from 1 Peter 1, right? The ignorant ways that you used to walk in, we repent of those things. And we say, gosh, I do prefer my own stuff, my own food, the things that are like me, and I need to make sure that I don't, that I don't make the church or, or people being involved in the gospel of Christ about them being like me and doing the things that I do. It needs to be centered around, built around the gospel of Jesus Christ. He becomes the king and the initiator of a new people that is a genos eclecton, an eclectic, beautiful building with all shapes and sizes and colors of stone. Man, what a beautiful reality we're invited into. But hear me, a lot of us will amen this sermon, and because we have unconscious prejudice, we think, I'm good, I don't do that. All of us want to go, how am I being prejudiced or preferential to those that are more like me than those who are not like me? And how do I be careful not to become someone who has a very tribal identity saying, oh yeah, this, this is what Christianity is, which consequently looks and sounds a lot like me. Huh. Let me make sure that I'm actually deriving my identity from the actual word of God, the actual gospel of Christ, and that I have not misused and misplaced my identity in something that was different than, right? Different than the gospel. And yet I lumped some things in. We have been chief perpetrators here in our land for a long time. And we want to be real careful to make sure that we're not uh, lumping the gospel into political parties or social movements, but that we get caught up in the, the kingdom, King Jesus which means we frustrate our Republican friends and we frustrate our Democrat friends because we identify as believers in Christ predominantly. And all the other things kind of fall to the wayside, meaning not that they're not important or not that we don't have preferences or not that we can't utilize those things or not that some of those things are beautiful and gifts. We just want to be careful about how we think on those categories underneath of the kingship of Jesus Christ. We are one holy nation. And what he's talking about is believing in Jesus. And this is a beautiful reality. I think about my Latino brothers who are in the house 
and when we have dinner together, I remember the first times we hung out. And here they've moved across, you know, oceans to come up here from, you know, Colombia is where it comes to mind. And we're sitting at dinner together and we are rejoicing and heralding the name of Jesucristo, nuestro rey. Somos hermanos y hermanas, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus who had never met, but we all have the same king. And what a picture that is. They walk through our door and the instant we meet, we know we're family. There's a new country and it's not America and it's not Colombia. It's under Jesus. May we be a building, right? We, the church, should be leading the charge on including those from other lands. When immigrants come in our country, we should be excited to bring them the gospel. So that way, as they believe on the gospel and they're united, they're looking at this hodgepodge of ethnicities all bound together by the glue of the gospel. And they go, that guy doesn't even speak our language. You're, you're, you're like, you're friends with him? You're like, no, no, I'm not just friends with him. We're brothers. Like, I'm, I would die for that guy. We're, like, we are connected eternally. So what, however like, intense you're thinking our union is, it's far more intense than that. No, we're not just buddies. This is my brother. So yeah, you bet I'm connected to him and proud to be. So you got a problem with him, you got a problem with me. That's my brother, mi hermano. So, all right. Whew. So living stones, there's a lot going on there. A royal priesthood. So this has new, uh, multiple attributes. The two that I want to emphasize this morning are this idea of we by default are a multi-ethnic people. We are a genos, eclecton. I, like I kind of do that with Spanish. I don't think they pronounce it that way. But, right? So we are a, an eclectic family from all sorts of countries and places. And man, when you come to our family dinner, that's how my Dallas Seminary hallway was. I mean, the smells coming out of that place. You're like, what are they cooking in there? I have one, one family from India, and the next couple is from Ethiopia, and they had some you know, smells coming out. They go, man, that smells good. And you go down there, there's another family from Korea, another family from China. It was, I was like, man, this is, this is crazy. This is cool. That's what our family is like. We got a beautiful, crazy family. All right, so we have this chosen race, this genos eclecton, and then we have this royal priesthood, holy nation. So, so here's what we want to get at with this. You know, I'm a pastor, right? So I get people, they find out I'm a pastor. Like, oh, you're, you're a preacher? Oh, like, you know, because they, they find out I, I have special access to God, right? So like, okay, okay, you're closer than I am to the heavenly realm. So my car broke down and I need it fixed. I need you to pray for me because your prayers are more important than mine. Because, you know, you, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're a preacher. So you got this, you know, that, I mean, we laugh at that, but that, that is definitely the disposition. There's a thing in the church called the priesthood of all believers, right? This is why our, our, our gospel work and our mission here at the church is not, and I, and, I, and I met a pastor who said this once, hey guys, you get your friends and you get them in this building and I will tell them the gospel because <laughs> they really need to hear it from me. I mean, right? No, that's, that, that's not our mission here. Our mission here is that you would so love and delight in Jesus yourself that you would work in a place, you would go to school in a place, you would live in a place where you're known 
and you know the people around you. And they, they would see your life and there would be a, a flavor and a, and a distinctiveness to it that would stand out amongst uh, your neighborhood and amongst your classmates. Not that, not that you're perfect, but there's something going on over there. And that when you articulate that there is this king and this king has come for me and died and shed his blood so that I could have life and relationship with him. God loves me so much that he, he gave his life for me that I might know him, that I might walk with him, that he, that he, would, he would have relationship with me. God, God loved me and he loves you. And, and, and he, he would love to have relationship with you. That when we live as those who have all been made holy by the blood of the lamb, all of us, there's not the varsity level pastor guys and then the, the JV like normal Christians and, and like the, what the Catholics have done. We have like the saints who are like the hall of fame of Christians, right? You, you, no, no, you realize that the scriptures refer to the people of God, all of them as saints. We've all been made holy, holy ones, all of us, the priesthood of all. And so the beautiful mission of God is that he brings you into this new eclectic family. And as he does that, he makes every person an ambassador for the kingship of Jesus. Not missionaries, not pastor guys, everyone. And we just, we, we buy into the lie of like, okay, those people, they really get it. And we're just kind of like struggling. No, no, no. We're, we're all in the same boat here. Our job is to live out a life with one another, especially, that then proclaims to the world, which we'll get to this in a second, proclaims to the world the excellencies of who Jesus is. Huh. That he would unite people who are very different from each other, and yet they're brothers. This is who we are, living stones who are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, everyone is a priest. So here's a little application question as we're going through here. How are you exercising your priesthood? Huh. We're, we're buying white collars for everybody in here. Right? How are we exercising our, which is, by the way, one of the reasons the Protestant church kind of has gotten away from that in certain places is like, yeah, I'm not like a, an extra class of Christian. I have responsibilities. I have things I'll be held accountable for, but we are the people of God to his glory and to his praise. And oftentimes I say this, that you proclaiming the gospel is much more powerful to your coworkers because they know you. They know your shortcomings. They know you're not perfect, but they see something because they're your friends. They're connected to you. So living stones, what are we built upon, right? What are we built upon? We've been talking about it. We've been, we can't talk about being living stones without talking about the cornerstone, right? This famous old metaphor that is, is in all of the Bible. We see this idea of the cornerstone. The cornerstone, look at verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. We will not be put to shame. It's a whole sermon there. We need to be reminded that we will not be put to shame because you're going to be put to shame. You're going to be shamed at times for believing in Jesus. It will happen. It's a guarantee. If we speak up, about King Jesus instead of other allegiances, if we, if we go against the popular party, if we go against the popular opinion, if we fight for those who people around us are, are fighting against, right? If we, are, if we are pro our enemies at times, we are going to get some grief because we're saying, no, no, we need to pray for them. 
I'm like, don't want to pray for those guys. They're the bad guys. No, no, we pray for our enemies because we love our enemies. Oh, that they would come to know the gospel of Christ. Right? But look at verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, for those who do not believe. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I love this. Because the idea here is that when you're, when, you, when you're building a building, okay, so when you're building a stone structure, like the cornerstone is like the stone, right? It's like the rock. It's like the most important part of the whole building. You kind of you go there first. You look for the right stone that's the right shape and the right size. We all know this intuitively. You, you have to have the first building block first because if you get that wrong, all the other stones don't matter. They all topple over. And any person who's ever played with Legos, or built a little dam in your creek, or done any, we all get that as kids, because you start like building something, like, oh, this is great, and then you get about 20 minutes in, and the whole structure, you know, we've all played Jenga, right, where you're going, and you're pulling stuff out, and you're whatever, and then eventually, it just falls over, right? So the cornerstone is this key piece, but look at verse 7. This is meant to be an encouragement to believers who are being shamed and rejected by the world. The stone the builders rejected has become the most important stone in the entire building, the most weight-bearing, essential, orienting thing in the entire structure. The, The builders, these guys who knew what they were doing, they threw that rock out, and that rock has become the cornerstone which gives you a little portrait about wisdom and ignorance. The world thinks they know so much. They think they've got it sorted out. They think they know. And so we proclaim about about an invisible God who is at working by Jesus Christ and by his spirit. And they're like, you're crazy. And then we look here, the, the stone the builders rejected, the stone that they were like looking through the heat for the right rock, and they're like, this one, ah, we don't need that. We'll just keep, oh, that's a good, we'll start with that. So they built a whole other building, and the cornerstone, the most essential piece that they threw away, God has taken and said they looked past this one. I think about Isaiah 53, right, that he was, he was, um, he was not beautiful to be beheld. It was despised and rejected by men. And they took this, Jesus, and put him as the cornerstone. And all other stones are built on him. There is one name. Right? One name in all of heaven, in all of earth, in all of eternity, that we will be heralding as the name above all names. And it's the name of Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And if we get away from Jesus and we try and build our life around other things, we talked about false hopes, right? That we would fully set our hope that is ahead for us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That if we set our hope on something else, it will falter. And yet he has built this sure foundation in Jesus Christ, that he, by his work, by his blood, by his resurrection, has built an unshakable city. That's how Hebrews refers to it. Because it's Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So, Jesus, the cornerstone. Listen, if you, if you come here for any amount of time, I hope you don't get tired of hearing his name because we're going to talk a lot about him. Because all of our orientation, 
our sexuality, our members, our, our membership, our, our political involvement, the way we view race and ethnicity, all of that's going to be derivative of who Jesus is and how he works. The name of Jesus is our orientation to all of life. If Jesus says it, and Jesus says this is the way it is, he is our king. Our allegiance, our submission, all of our marching orders come from him. So know that that's what we are about. That's what the church has always been about. That's what makes us the church. Anyone else who takes the name, the word church, and uses it another way, that's not church. Church comes by the calling out of Jesus when, he, when we believe upon him and he sets us in our place as this eclectic family. So living stones, cornerstone, but we have to talk about verse 8, the stumbling stone. This is to be an encouragement for believers we live in a land, we live in Southwest Virginia, where it's kind of assumed culturally that we're all Christians and everyone's about Jesus. No. Even those who sometimes say they're about Jesus, when we actually do the ways of Jesus, they get hung up, literally. Look at verse 8. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. What is that talking about? That means that when you don't believe on Jesus, you will stumble over him as the rock, the cornerstone. You're not going to fathom who he is if you don't believe upon him because he is just an obstacle in your way. Hear the specificity of that. He is an obstacle in your way because you have gone your own way. We go our each way, each one. My ways seem right to me. So if I'm not following Jesus, he is an annoyance to me. He is a pain to my toe. He is something that gets in the way of what I'm trying to accomplish. And because he is the thing we orient around, if you're not orienting around Jesus and you're orienting around something else and you're looking over here and you fall over Christ, right? Because you have not oriented around him, he will be a stumbling stone. This is meant to encourage those who follow Jesus. Because not only will they say, no, 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 that's not the way. They'll say, what are you doing? This, this, you're, you're getting in my way. This was one of the criticisms of the early church. They were thought to be antisocial because they wouldn't get on Rome's program. They wouldn't follow all of Rome's sexual ethics. They wouldn't follow all of Rome's politics. They wouldn't follow Rome's morality. They wouldn't follow Rome's, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't go to barbaric games and watch people be eaten alive by beasts. They stopped participating in the sum of the social life of the kingdom because they had another king and another kingdom that they were orienting around, and it was a stumbling stone to the Romans. Oh, you Christians, you keep messing things up. Stop getting in our way. We have these fun things we want to go do. God, what is y'all's problem? All these like rules. You're no fun. You're one of those religious types? No, we love Jesus. And you can call me a lot of things. And I falter. And so do you as Christians. But we want to be those who are caught up in the ways of Christ. And the gospel will be a stumbling stone. It will be an annoyance. It's something that gets in the way of other agendas and other hopes. And I'll say it like this, that if your allegiance to Christ never gets in the way, I want to just question your allegiance to Christ. If it's never a stumbling stone, 
It never butts in with any other agendas. It never, it never collides with sin. It never hits injustice and goes, whoa, no, we can't do that. If that never happens, if you're just kind of the guy who always, oh, it's fine, it's fine. If that's always happening, I just want you to say, allegiance to Christ means you will be associated and connected to the stumbling block of the gospel. And, it, and it's uncomfortable to be in a place and say, I cannot participate. I can't. It's not even a matter of like, I want to or not. I, I can't. I want to highly recommend the movie A Hidden Life to you. About Nazi Germany, a true story. It's long, it's beautiful, it's drawn out, but it's painful. He could not do what they were asking him to do. He couldn't. His church ridiculed him. His entire community ridiculed him. He could not do what the Nazis were asking him to do, and it cost him his life. It's a stumbling stone, Jesus. It's a stumbling stone, the gospel, that when we believe it, it comes in contact with things where it's going to be messy at times, but we cannot waver and we cannot shrink what it is. We can't say, well, oh, oh that sin's fine. It's permissible. No, no, we, we want to submit to Jesus and I get that that's offensive to you and I, I, my goal is not to offend, but I have to cling to who he is and what he says. So, living stones, the cornerstone stumbling stones. And what does this house do? Well, this house becomes a people that offers sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Familiar language. Look at verse 5. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This sounds very much like Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Therefore, I urge you, brother and view, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, doing sports camps as a college student. Got that ingrained in my heart. It's a good thing. And so that's what we do. We offer spiritual sacrifice. What an odd thing. The whole purpose of our building is to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. What an odd thing we, we do. That is odd to the world. The other thing that we do is that, again, there's, there's so much here. We'll cover some more of this when we get into next week, which is interesting. But look at verse Nine, so we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when we hear the word proclaim, we think of preachers. But he just used that phrase right after he said that we are a royal priesthood, all of us. We're royal priesthood. And what do we do as a priesthood? We offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, meaning we live with our neighbors in such a way. These sacrifices look like things like this, putting away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. We should be a people who progressively have less beef with our brothers especially, but also our neighbors. So it's worth thinking through, how do we use our mouths if we pull slander specifically? This is the, the easiest one to get caught up in. 
How do we use our mouths? Are we slandering people? Are we, do, we, do we take delicious um, you know, enjoyment out of being able to tear someone down who is who's so foolish, they do blah, 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 and we can tear them down? This is rampant in the church, all church, capital C, lowercase c. This is the easiest thing we do is when we are cornered, we can attack with our words. And we'll take that one specifically because not are we to do that, but we are to use our mouths to proclaim the excellencies, right? Proclaim the excellencies of who? Of him. Look at this language. The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love that image. You're walking in darkness, you're living a foolish life, and then you have Jesus who says, hey, hey, God, hey, over here. You are in a cave. You are destined for death. You're, you're, you're lost. This way. Come over here. He called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. It's not like we had some grand plan. We're like, all right, how can I get as much enjoyment, as much fulfillment, and crush it by myself as I can? Let me do that. And so we are destined for failure. And then Jesus says, hey, come on. And we're proclaiming his excellencies. The excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light, knowing he is the light. He's the one who called. He, he, he. And then we say, what is your fixation? It's Jesus. And let me tell you about him. That is who we are, a people who are continually proclaiming the excellencies of Christ Jesus, who continually revel in the wonders of Christ. And, and, and I would say this, here's my specific application this week. Can we become a people who practice that when we see each other, and I, I think the guys that I'm close with, this happens, we'll see each other, and then this thing will often happen where they'll be like, oh man, this happened today. And it just was, God is doing this. Can you... Can you believe that? You're like, man, that's awesome. What conversation did you have at work today? What happened? Who did you get to pray with? Man, that's fantastic. That we become a people who are heralding his excellencies constantly. Man, I just, there's so much good stuff here. Let me pray for us, church. But as those, you know, before we get into prayer, but as those who are being stacked together as stones, one last little application question. As you are layered on top of and built together with someone else, how are you doing at building the relationship? Even hear that language, building the relationship with the person next to you, because here's the reality. You didn't get to decide which stone you were placed next to. I should say that. I need to make that really clear. Did you hear that? You, you didn't get to decide which stone you were placed next to. Even in this culture where we pick our own churches and we think, okay, I finally found one that's like not that terrible and they're like, you know, like they're not that bad. Well, if you're around long enough, this is my promise to you. Oh boy, can I join the church? You know, if you're around long enough, you're going to have beef with somebody because the person you thought you were getting to know is very different than what you expected. You don't get to decide that. So are we people who just flee that or are we people who press through and keep asking, here's the very specific question, and I promise I'll go to prayer after this. The very specific question is, how am I contributing to this conflict? Because the question we want to ask is, why are they so dumb? <laughs> right? It seems so clear to us, if they would just fix their stuff, then it would be fine. 
But what God is saying is, no, if we own our stuff and we allow him to nourish us, he actually will work through us if that other person never looks any different from where we're sitting. A lot of freedom in that church. And then you're thankful for the stone who's next to you with all their misshapen oddness. And we can delight in it, knowing that God is working through us to make a much more beautiful structure. Because I can't control any of the other stones, but I am connected to them. And God wants me to work through my stuff so that we have a coherence as the bride of Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who who builds, your God who calls, your God who washes, your God who places, your God who gives. You are a gracious and merciful God, abounding in steadfast love. We praise you that you have called us, that you have saved us, Lord, that you have redeemed us to be a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, all of us. Lord, would you empower us this week to delight in the gospel, to delight in the fact that you change and grow and move us and place us where you want. And Lord, help us to be a people who love the stones that are placed around us, that we love them well. God, we need your help because their sharp edges and my sharp edges, they collide and they clash. And yet you have come to work us together and to put us together as your workmanship. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.